Hello everyone, welcome back to Breaking Apostolic Taboo. I'm Bailey Romans, and on this podcast we like to talk about things that have a little bit of a taboo around them, Um, and we like to break the stigma and break the awkwardness around certain subjects, and so along with that, we like to educate. We want you to be educated on ways to help yourself, ways to help others get through these certain circumstances that we all go through. Last time we did a series on mental illnesses and this time we're going to be doing Redeemed Sexuality by Andrew A. Boa. It is a 12 session, so 12 weeks, and we are super excited. We want to give you some practical resources to help you combat some of these sexual issues. And because a lot of churches do not have a program to help people that struggle with pornography addiction and sexual addiction in general, um, hopefully this will help you. This is a good resource. You can find it on Amazon. If you would like to do this at your church or with a small group, if you would like to start it, um, I will have a Dropbox if you want to do this on your own personal time and uh, with the worksheets that you'll need um, to fill out if you would like to participate. And thank you so much for joining us and I hope you enjoy this episode. Before this podcast starts, we have a couple things we would like to let you know about. First, we have some big plans for the future. We are so excited for where this podcast is going, but we really need some help. We both have full-time jobs along with church and family. And here are some ways that you can help. Share our posts, subscribe, and leave a review. Also, we would like to buy better equipment, and we also have some plans for the future that are going to need funding. You can either become a monthly or a one-time listener supporter. The link is in the show notes. Or you can buy us a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash breaking taboo. Or you can click the link in the show notes. Next thing is, me and my husband are going on AIM to Japan. You can support us one of three ways. Text to give. You can text AIM206 to 71777. Or you can buy a t-shirt or hoodie from our shop on Bonfire called Seek and Save Apparel. Or you can become a partner in missions. To find more information on anything, please visit our Instagram page, Romans to Japan or Breaking Apostolic Taboo. Thank you for joining and we are so excited for this week's episode. Welcome to session seven of Redeemed Sexuality. We're going to be talking about our identity in Christ. The major strategy of Satan is to distort the character of God and the truth of who we are. He can't change God and he can't do anything to change our identity and position in Christ. If, however, he can get us to believe a lie, we will live as though our identity in Christ isn't true. Neil T. Anderson and Victory Over the Darkness. In this session, we will talk about the most important piece of this curriculum, how God relates to us sexually broken and sinful people. He not only forgives us, he lovingly embraces and delights in us as his own sons and daughters. His love tells us who we are, heals our hearts, renews our minds, changes our behavior, and transforms our brokenness into sexual wholeness. 
When you are in the middle of sexual sinner shame, what expression do you imagine is on God's face as he looks at you? Is he angry, disappointed, distant, neutral, tolerant, pleased? How can we imagine God relates to us? How we, can, how we imagine God relates to us determines how we relate to him. Unfortunately, many of us have brought into the idea that God re, uh, reacts negatively to sexual sinful and broken people. Jesus Christ met any such people and met many such people in his life and ministry. Never once did he shy away or condemn. He loved and accepted them as they were, yet he did not leave them as they were. All who touched him were transformed. Jesus demonstrates how God's fundamental posture to human beings, no matter how sexually sinful or broken, is one of relentless, overpowering love. John 15 and 9 and 1 John 3 and 1 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We're going to talk about the double life. In order to be clear about how God relates to us and our sexual struggles, we first need to be clear about how God does not relate to us. God never tempts us in James 1, 13, or heaps condemnation on us, Romans 8 and 1. Even so, it can be easy to confuse the voice of God with the voice that keeps us trapped in sexual shame and sin. We can distinguish between the two by recognizing one of the enemy's most effective strategies, the double lie. Did I say the double life at first? It was the double lie. Oh, Lord. The double lie begins with temptation, minimizing the seriousness of sin and the holiness of God. Who cares? God will still forgive you. You want this so badly, just give in. You'll be fine. Sounds familiar. But then, once you listen to that voice and give in to temptation, it will turn on you. That same voice switches to accusation, minimizing the grace and of the gospel and the love of God. You failed again. Are you even Christian? Who do you think you are? You're pathetic. This voice does not come from God. How do we know this for sure? Because it contradicts itself. Its two messages are completely incompatible, and yet, somehow, we tend to believe both of them. By listening to the double lie, we are defeated by the enemy, not once, but twice. Exposing the double lie reveals who this voice really comes from. Satan, who when he lies, he speaks negative language, for he is a liar and the father of lies, John 8:44. Sometimes we wobble back and forth from one side of the double lie to the other, from temptation to accusation and back again. We get stuck. How have you personally experienced the double lie? For me, um, all the time. <laughs> you know, I mean, almost any time, any time. I honestly, this happens a lot, and I think it's cool that they're addressing this. So we're going to move on to the double truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ defeats the double lie, both in temptation and accusation. 
When we are sexually tempted, the gospel gives us God's power. When we are sexually ashamed, the gospel gives us God's pardon. It tells us the double truth that though we may be great sinners, Christ is a greater Savior. While the double lie focuses on our attention on what we are doing, the gospel uh, focuses our attention on who Jesus is and who we are because of what he did for us. Against temptation, the gospel says, you're right. Even if you sin, God won't turn away from you. But he suffered and died specifically to set you free from this. Look at Christ crucified for you, buried for you, risen for you. Will you now walk in your identity as the one who belongs to him? Against accusation, the gospel says, you're right. You're not worthy of the father's love and you never have been. But he loves you still. You are his delight. God is your father. He lives in you. Will you accept your status as his beloved child? Who am I in Christ? The gospel defeats the double lie by giving us a new identity in Christ. After all, if Jesus is who he says he is, then we are who he says we are. The list of statements on the following pages highlights this truth. People often hide this list Find this list especially helpful for responding to the double eye. Quietly read through the list and mark the identity statements that are most meaningful to you, which I will leave in our Dropbox folder. I will leave this whole paper um, and it, it continues on in the next page. It is essential for us to accept and appropriate our identity as God's beloved sons and daughters in order to disrupt the cycles of sexual shame and sin. We need to see ourselves first and foremost as people loved by God, a love that Michael Lawrence describes this way. We can say God loves you all day long and it won't make a dent because people know deep down that God's love is not deserved. But when I'm told that God loves God loves and that I've been adopted in Christ by faith. I na- I know or I now have something to put my confidence in, something that isn't contra- or contradicted by knowledge of myself. Christian, you are loved not because you're lovely or obedient, but because Christ is lovely and obedient and you are in Christ. You have been adopted. It shouldn't surprise us that the biblical language of sons and daughters we find a powerful antidote to a deadly poison. But in fact, in our identity as sons and daughters of God, we've been giving some far more powerful than an antidote to the fallings of our time. We've been given an identity that calls us beyond ourselves and our emotional needs to the story of the glory of God. Who are we in Christ? It's not only important to realize our identity in Christ as individuals, but to realize our corporate identity as God's people, the church. The gospel not only transforms the way we see ourselves, it transforms the way we see and relate to each other as brothers and sisters and image bearers. 1. We are all created in the image of God, Genesis 1.27. We matter and what we do matters. By creating us in, the Im- in his image, God has given us in I don't know what that word is. Worth and significance. (laughs) Even the people we are tempted to objectify have been created in God's image and how we treat them is how we treat God. We are his artwork. 
2. We are all equally fallen and broken, Romans 3.23. We are always in need of grace, no matter what, we never reach a point where we no longer need the gospel of, or the grace of God. Therefore, we should not be surprised when we find ourselves to be more sinful and selfish than we previously thought. We are rebels. 3. We are all equally loved by the Father, 1 John 3 and 1. We are all loved by God so much that we can do absolutely nothing to increase or decrease His love for us. The truest thing about us is that we are His beloved children in whom He is well pleased. Nothing and no one is beyond His embrace. We are His delight. Number four, we are all equally redeemed by Christ, Ephesians 1, 7. We are now in Christ, who purchased us, purified us, and put his spirit in us. In him, our old selves have been crucified on the cross, and in him, our new selves have now been raised from the dead. He shed his blood to make us holy. We belong to him now. Number five, we are all equally equally recipients of the spirit, Ephesians 4 and 4. We all minister. We are all ministers of the Holy Spirit. God chooses to dwell in us, lead us into all truth, and use us in each other's lives for his glory. With God as our Father, Jesus, uh, with God as our Father, living in us, we have everything we need. We are equipped. Number six, we are all members of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. We are dependent on one another in order to truly reflect Christ. We cannot spiritually thrive apart from community. God designed the body so that every part is necessary for the health and growth of the whole. We cannot work alone. We need each other. Number seven, we are all designed or destined for eternity with God. Revelation 21.3. I don't have my glasses on, so sometimes I have a hard time seeing. We are all headed for the great greatest wedding that there will ever be the marriage supper of the lamb when christ comes back to take us home we'll be completely transformed on that day we will have new bodies and there will be no sin we have hope so the next step is the voice of jesus on the road to sexual freedom and healing in christ Sometimes we grow dis- discouraged. We lose sight of Jesus and, ne- and the never-ending grace he lavishes on us, especially after periods of great progress. Uh, pro- progress. <laughs> the moments we, when we turn back to the old ways of, of the wounded self can be devastating. By now, you have probably had a few slips or relapses in which you've acted out sexually. You probably felt horrible and gross. These experiences on of defeat can make us feel dis- disqualified from God's love and renew the shame cycle. In the midst of sexual relapse, how does God relate to us? What does the voice of Jesus say? Choose to engage with one of the following scripture passages as a way of connecting the voice of Jesus to sexual sin. Enter deeply into the passage you choose. Don't rush or try to read them all. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to leave this section in our um, lesson notes, um, lesson homework in the Dropbox folder. So you can go through it, but uh, John 8, 1 through 11, Luke 7, 36 through 50, and Romans 5 through 8. 
the voice of Jesus corrects but never condemns. The voice of Jesus commands but never cohorses. The voice of Jesus is tender and true, holy and healing, gracious and good. It is the voice of love. The voice of Jesus brings freedom, not fear, peace, not pride, shalom, not shame. It brings life. So we have two reflection questions today. The first one is, what does the double lie say to you when you are tempted or ashamed? Uh, for me, um, just tells me I'm not good enough. I, you've fallen again, so um, that's the bad side. And, and, and the, the first lie is, I need this. I need this. I need this. Um, and then this one, you can answer on your own. Which identity statement speaks most powerfully to you right now? So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, the next class is on facing temptation. So we'll see you in uh, two weeks. And I'll see y'all later. Bye.